Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, continuing our ongoing conversation about practical issues related to ministry leadership. One of the things that's been important in my life from teenage years until today has been sharing the gospel, particularly personal evangelism and witnessing to people one-on-one. This was so important to me that I focused my doctoral studies on this subject and really thought that I would spend most of my life as an evangelistic pastor trying to lead people to faith in Jesus. Well, of course, my life took a different direction. I moved on to working in the seminary community, but that did not mean I was exempt from the responsibility to keep sharing my faith. And so this has been an important part of my life, and I know it is for many of you who listen uh, to the podcast each week. Because of that, today, I want to talk about personal evangelism. And in order to do that, I've invited a guest to be on the podcast with me today, and that is Dr. Eddie Pate, who is Professor of Missions and Evangelism here at Gateway Seminary. Uh, Eddie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to, good for you to be here. Uh, you've actually been at Gateway for about 15 years, but before that, you have had a global ministry uh, career, and you've shared the gospel uh, in a lot of places. Just briefly summarize sort of what you did before you got to Gateway. Well, my first global part of that was being in Barstow, California. So those guys actually taught me pretty much everything I needed to know to be equipped to share my faith and to do that as a pastor. So cumulatively, I was up there about 20 years. Yeah. And then right before Gateway, though, we were um, abroad in Jordan and Sudan. And then since we've been in Gateway, I've, I've been with students in a number of places around the world. So it's really been a great life to get to, to do that and have opportunities to share the gospel, you know, in many different kind of cultural contexts. Eddie, I've been with you in various places around the world, and I can say to you and I can say to the listeners today, I don't know anyone who's more affable and more effective at going into any culture and immediately begin interfacing with people and sharing the gospel. You have a special gift for doing that, and it's an honor to get to work oh, with you here. You're super kind. And, and you know I'd carry your suitcases anywhere. Well, boss. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Well, now, today, we're going to approach this subject in a little bit surprising way. You're a professor, and it might seem logical for me to say, okay, I want you to tell me what you teach others about evangelism. But that's really not what you want to do today. When I asked Dr. Pate to be on the podcast, he said, let's talk about 10 things that I've learned from my students about teaching evangelism. In other words, as Eddie's taught here for 15 years, there's about 10 things that he's identified that students have taught him are that he's learned from watching students about this important area of evangelism. So I'd like to work our way through this list today, see how far we can get, and talk about some of these items. The first thing you say is that you've learned that no one is teaching them to fish. Right. I don't even know what that means. So explain it to us here on the podcast. Well. Can I give you just a short, uh, what, like, how did I get this? Okay, there's. I, I always tell you I have the best job at Gateway Seminary. And part of that is I get our students that are doing evangelism in an evangelism class. So if we're doing an eight-week class online, then, you know, they have to share their faith eight times and tell me about it. And the other project I have in class that I've had ever since those old Brea days at Golden Gate and Brea 
is they do kind of a best practices in their local church. So from putting those two projects together, really over the last 15 years, I, I kind of let, put this list together of here's what I'm hearing and seeing and learning about our students and also about the churches that are sending them. So, yeah, that first one, no one's teaching the, to fish. If you think about it, I mean, I love that in the Bible there's all kinds of, you know, imagery and all of the disciples for the – well, not all of them, but many were fishermen. Right. So there is a connection. And if you think about it, how did you – I don't know if you're a fisherman or not. We've really never had that conversation in our in our time together. But if you fish, you don't learn to fish from a book. You know, you don't get Idiot's Guide to Fishing and then go to, to Bass Pro Shop and get your stuff. You learn to fish by somebody taking you fishing, and that may be your dad. It may be an uncle. It may be a friend. But somebody shows you how to do it. And by saying nobody's teaching them to fish, I'm saying in our churches, I'm learning from students and I'm learning from our churches that they're not learning to do that. Nobody's taking youth, college students to share the gospel with them yes. so that they're watching and seeing that. And I said the only exception to that that I see in students are people that are connected to student ministries in churches or on college campuses where they are they're sharing the gospel with college students. I could not agree more with this assessment that no one is teaching them to fish. When I was a pastor years ago, I was preaching a series of messages uh, – and I preached one particularly pointed message on evangelism. And when I finished, probably the most dedicated lay person in our church, a, a, a professional man, was standing right in front of me when I said the closing prayer. And he said to me, don't ever do that to me again. And it was a little scary. And I said, what, what, what did I do? And he said, don't ever lecture me from the pulpit about something you've never taught me how to do. Mm. And that was a sobering moment. And so I took a giant step back and said, you know, I'm approaching this the wrong way. So I stopped preaching on evangelism and went out mm. and got myself uh, uh, trained in a good evangelistic training tool that was available at the time. And I spent the next three months training two people. And we spent the next three months, the, the, the two I had trained and I, training each two more people. And over the next three or four years, we trained a significant cadre of adults and older teenagers in our church, and we saw dozens of people come to faith in Jesus, not because I was preaching mean sermons about go win the more people to Jesus, but because I was actually teaching people how to do it, mm -hmm. taking them out with me on evangelistic visits, and letting them observe what I was doing. And I, I could tell, I'm not going to do it on the podcast today, but I could tell Many, many both funny and moving stories of those experiences of teaching other people how to fish. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first thing is there's just very little modeling going on in churches. And right. so who's supposed to be doing this modeling? Well, I mean, the pastor can definitely exactly. do it. He's got yeah, to start he's got it. To. It's not – it's got to start there. He's got to start it, and then there's got to be other people who help him with it. But this is a non-delegatable function. The pastor can't say, you know, I don't really do evangelism. Right. I don't really share my faith. I, I don't really witness. I, other people can do that. You know, I'm I'm studying for my sermon, or I'm I'm uh, you know doing my administration. Now he can't be the only one that's teaching other people how to fish. But he's got to be one. He has doing to be that. fishing, mm -hmm. right? And and as you said, he models that. From the pulpit and and through stories and through 
what people in the church see him doing in the community. And, and you know, they know. Yeah, oh, yes, they the, do. Your people know whether you're sharing the gospel or not. But I would also say <laughs> that once a pastor starts doing this, that part of his responsibility, of course, is to train other people to do it with him, as I mentioned in my story. And when that begins to take effect in a church, it, it really does take on a, a kind of a life of its own. Because, for example, when I was a uh, an older high school student and early college student, there was a deacon in our church named uh, Andy, mm-hmm. and he was a probably um, late 50s, early 60s. And he went out sharing the gospel regularly, and he mm-hmm. would often say to me, uh, come go with me. And I would just go watch him share the gospel with people that he was cultivating in relationship or people who'd visited his Sunday school class or had been to our church. He was a businessman in our community, so he would also go into places where he knew people that he did business with. And he just tag, I just tag along with mm-hmm. him. And it wasn't really a formal program so much as it was a, an organic mentorship. Right. So if you are a church leader today, a pastor or other church leader, ask yourself this question, who am I teaching to fish? Right. Who am I taking with me to let them see how to do it so they can get the job done? Well, here's the second thing. You said churches, for the most part, have no plan for evangelism. Uh, right. We're, we're sort of bleeding over into that. So when you try to train students, how have you discovered that churches just aren't doing anything with this? So, so you mentioned just a second ago, though, that it can be organic or it can be programmed. So I, I'm saying that in what I'm seeing from churches is that, that many have neither so in other words, they do their pro- they do their programs and they do their projects. So they have their their women's tea or they have the you know the soccer tournament or they do whatever they're going to do. What kind of events and events? This isn't this isn't on the list, but I'll tell you, events have kind of taken the place of an evangelistic meeting at churches. But I'm seeing a lot of churches will do the event without any thought of having any sort of net drawing activity at that event. They just do the event and, uh, hey, we did the event, so we're good. Yeah, they have no real plan for making an evangelistic uh, uh, process or an evangelistic effort come out of the event. Part of that. Like, for example, I'll I'll make it just very simple. Uh, Let's say that they organize a men's event and, and it's effective. Mm-hmm. Men come Men from the come community. Up. They come to hear what's being said. They listen to the speakers. They perhaps uh, uh, go to the demonstrations of whatever's being done in this men's event. And and they spend a couple of hours and maybe even enjoy it and learn some basic gospel information. But not only does no one ask them in the moment, will you commit your life to Jesus and will you do it right now and we'll give you the opportunity to do so, but there's also really no effort made to Mm-mm. secure names, addresses, email addresses, follow-up information to see if I can make an appointment. Can I meet with you next week? Can we come by and see you? It's like a, it's like there's a, a, a resistance to any kind of initiative to actually follow up with and win somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. Like that would be bad exactly. to actually ask them for that. Yeah. yeah, so I'm seeing churches that, you know, they – We've kind of gone through seasons, you know, where local churches did formalize training. I mean, you and I are old enough to remember when we took Evangelism Explosion and put CWT on that, and it was what we did for years. And interestingly, even CWT, that kind of a program, which is probably a 30-year-old program or older, I had a student last semester see five people in Los Angeles gets saved through through using that program CWT yeah. but that's a program that embedded in it you know the like whether that's faith or whether it's CWT 
those traditional programs had in them mentorship where you took somebody fishing with you. So I don't see a lot of churches doing that. And then the other thing that you mentioned in that, that second issue is they don't have a formalized plan and they don't have any sort of emphasis in their events. And one key event, and you and I know, most every church we know here in Southern California has some kind of harvest event, you know, trunk or treat, some kind of Halloween thing, you know, where you get all of these kids that are just coming to your church and nobody that does anything at the end of that, like, okay, how do we get the gospel to these kids and their families that want a safe, you know, and, and you probably mm-hmm. have people that are listening like, oh, we don't do that kind of thing anyway. Well, people in your community are doing that. So how do you, how do you take those things and intentionally infuse a call to receive Christ or sharing the gospel in that call in those events. Exactly. Okay, so another thing that comes out of what you just said is that the Sunday school used to be the primary mode for evangelism. Now, I'm not here today to advocate for every church having a Sunday school, but what happened was when we moved away from Sunday school and toward small groups for mm-hmm. adults primarily, Exactly. we jettisoned the evangelistic focus of small group ministry. Right. So what do you think we could do to recapture some of that, where our adult small groups actually saw themselves as trying to reach someone with the gospel, and more than just a passive, let's pray they come to Jesus, but actually having some kind of strategy or plan to go after them? I think if you if you train your, your small group leaders, I mean, in small groups, there are different kinds of small groups. So there, there are small groups that are closed for a period of time. There's small groups that are open. There's small groups that have been having, that have had the same people in them for years, but I always like just having an open chair, you know, right. say, Hey, there is, there is room for more. And that small group, that home group is the, is the best place to bring people that are wanting to have community and wanting to have fellowship with people. And then using that small group as a tool and a platform for sharing the gospel and seeing people integrated into a Christian community and then into the local church. So I just don't, I don't see, I see a lot of churches with, without Sunday school that used to do all of that. And then I see a lot of churches with small groups, but the small groups don't seem like evangelism is a part of what they're trying to do. They're just trying to have Christian community, which is fine. But part of what we're supposed to do is add to that community. That's kind of in the Bible, right? Yeah. That we should, yeah, we should go out and, and share the gospel so with I people. I think what you're advocating for is that in small group structures, there has to be some intentionality about reaching out to new people with the gospel. Right. And there has to be this open or this empty chair mentality and maybe even a literal empty chair, which reminds us we are responsible not just to enjoy ourselves together, but to be on mission with the gospel, reaching someone else. Well, here's another one. You, you say that you've learned from teaching students here for 15 years that most students don't really know any lost people. That seems almost impossible to believe, and yet I know it's true. So... <laughs> What what is what has caused Christians to be so insulated? And they may be aware of lost people, but when you use the word "no," you mean have good ongoing relationships with lost people, right? Um, they're in the Christian bubble, and mm. not to promote your book Unscripted, which I do you use in class, but I'm telling you that they like that part of your book where you're talking about infiltrating the community and getting to know lost people. So uh, I. 
there's a classic verbatim that I got back from Mill Valley campus, Dr. Orge, where a student gave me the verbatim and they said, I went and sat on a bench in Sausalito and no one came to talk to me. And that's just kind of a small picture of the way where many of our students are is they're not connecting with lost people. They don't do anything in the community where they're rubbing shoulders with lost people. And I think you've got to be intentional to do that. But when they do it, and here's the great thing, when they connect with lost people, they share the gospel with lost people, they generally find people are okay. They will listen to that. Yes, they will. So, yeah. I've been sharing the gospel on the West Coast for more than 30 years. I honestly cannot remember more than one or two conversations at the most where people were resistant to a to a uh, gospel conversation. They they're willing to right. talk about what they believe and what you believe, and if you approach them in a respectful way, they're willing to have a conversation with you. Uh, when you say that uh, that student went and sat on a bench and wrote to you that no one came and talked with you, I think that's a very uh, good picture of what. Too many believers are thinking when they think of evangelism, and that is, I will go, go but there. someone yeah. else will have to come and seek me out if they want to hear what I have right. to say. God's going to bring that guy to sit on the bench next to me. Yeah, well, why don't you just find that guy sitting on a bench and right. go sit down by him? That's yeah. the key thing. Yeah. Well, most students don't know any lost people. You know, at Gateway, when we built the building here, people uh, asked, well, are you going to put in a gym? And I jokingly said, I'll build a gymnasium when L.A. Fitness builds a theology classroom. Uh-huh. That's not who we are. It's not our mission. And I would rather have seminary students going to a playground and asking if they can join a pickup game and hanging around after and seeing if they can talk with them about Jesus for five minutes right. than I would having a bunch of seminary students in a gym somewhere playing basketball. Right. And the same thing. So many churches have so many things like church softball leagues, and I I, I, I would say rather than join your church's softball team and play in a church league, go join your company team where you work part-time or where you can find a way to get on a company team and enjoy getting relationships built with those guys and stay after for the refreshments. Now, you may have to have a Diet Coke while they're having something a little stronger, but nevertheless, stay around mm-hmm. and build those connections so that you can have the opportunity to share the gospel. All right, number five. You say there is little or no directed prayer by students or in the churches of students for the lost. Right. What does that look like, directed prayer for the lost in a church? Well, I think the Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life, right? So that's one of those things you can pray that you're going to see God answer. I really believe that, and I I've, I believe it experientially, and I believe it that when our students begin to pray for people specifically, and when churches do, you see people get saved. That's exactly right. It's a law of sowing and reaping. I observed it when I was a pastor. I might pray for person A to become a Christian, and right. they might not. But here would come a person I never had met before who would become a Christian as a result of the ministry of our church. Right. Sowing and reaping. As we were praying, some of the people were praying for become Christians, but more than that, God just seemed to answer our prayer for people to be saved by bringing us even more people to come to faith in Jesus. It just happens. You know, I have a, I think in that uh, same book, uh, Unscripted, but in other teachings I've done, I've written, I have uh, specific prayers in the New Testament about evangelism. And one of them is just very, very uh, clear. Paul said, my heart's desire and earnest prayer for Israel is that they mm-hmm. might be saved. Right. It is appropriate to pray for people to be saved and to pray for people by name to do that. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think that, uh, that that's what you mean by directed prayer, and that's what we're challenging uh, needs to be happening with students and with churches. Here's another one. You said most students, or many students, can't clearly define the gospel. But instead of talking about the gospel, they talk about something else and call that witnessing. Right. What is it they're talking about? I see most students or many that err on the side of just inviting somebody to church. Right. Now, that's nice. I'm glad they're doing that. And then I the, the other error or kind of uh, – I wouldn't call it an error, but in sharing about Jesus, many people get to the cross – in talking to somebody, in having a what are you whether you want to call it a gospel conversation, a spiritual conversation, they'll get down that road and they'll talk about how wonderful the cross is, and it is, but they forget the resurrection. So I'm just I just harp on them all the time. If you're going to talk about Jesus, you got to talk about the resurrection. Right. I mean that's our hope. So I see sometimes just they're they're bold enough to say, "Would you guys come to church with me?" Invite them to church, or where do you go to church? In fact, I'll give you one other illustration of a, of a strange verbatim, right? And sometimes it's students that are just, they know they've got to get their, their assignment in, which I tell them, use the assignment as a reason to talk to people. But I remember a guy that turned us in, and he said I was in Starbucks, and I knew I had to get my assignment in. And so I told a guy, hey, if you, uh, if I, I'll buy your coffee if you'll answer a question from me. I'm like, so as I'm reading that, I'm thinking, all right, this is okay. He's going to get there, right? So he buys the coffee, hands it to the guy, and he says, do you go to church anywhere? And the guy's like, no. And he goes, okay, thanks. And he leaves. That's it. So you got to get past that. Right. So share the gospel. I think that the phrase gospel conversation is a really good phrase as long as there's some gospel in the conversation. When you just talk about church or uh, ministry opportunities or need meeting things that mm-hmm. your church does in the community, I mean, these are all nice things to have conversation about. But until you actually start talking about the gospel, right? the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our sin which separates us from God and the need that we have to place to repent of our sin and place faith in Jesus. I mean, these are the things that are a part of a truly gospel conversation. Right. All right. Well, here's another one, and I could probably spend the entire podcast times 10 on this issue. You say you've learned from students that many churches and many students think that meeting human needs will cause people to be saved. That good deeds with no vocal witness is enough to communicate the gospel. And they actually use a verse on this. They'll know we're Christians by our love. Right. So what is it about this that people think that meeting human needs and doing nice things is enough to share the gospel? There's a lot of people who do a lot of nice things who are not Christians. I mean, I, I worked in a refugee camp on the Jordanian-Iraqi border, and we worked un- – this, this was the Jordanian Christians working under the Jordanian Red Crescent. So the Muslims ran the camp. We just did a little piece of that, right? So in the same way, there's a lot of people around the world and here wherever we are living that do good things. So you can't just do good things. You've got to tell people why you're doing doing good things. Yeah, you were doing those good things in the refugee camp, but no one was coming become, going to become a Christian because you gave them food because there were other, other secular people, yeah. groups and other religious groups in the same camp doing sure. the very same things. 
So we'll have students that go in and, you know, go to downtown L.A. or they'll go to a, a, a you know, a food kitchen or, you know, for, for serving people. And we're, that's great. Serve those people. But speak and, and proclaim the gospel in those contexts yeah. as well. Let's go back to the verse. The verse says um, people will know we are Christians by our love. Let's understand what that verse really says. It says this. Other people will look at us and say, man, they love each other. They must be Christians. It does say that. Mm-hmm. But it does not say they will know how to become right. Christians by watching us love one another. How That's do, the key thing. We have to still communicate the how-to. How do I get what you've got? Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I, I see, I've seen this also for years from students and from others. And I uh, think that it's a, it's a good learning point that we have to correct in terms of evangelism here at Gateway. Well, here's another one. S- subtle spiritual pride can rise up in, quote, committed believers over evangelism. Mm-hmm. And that is you do see some students who come in with a little bit of a puffed yeah. out chest. You know, well, I'm a gospel sharing, witnessing Christian, so I'm a little better than the rest of you. You picked up on that, too? Our church proclaims the gospel so we don't have to do it outside the, the walls of the church. And I, I had one student over all the years ask me in class, why do we even need to have this class? Because mm. God knows who's going to get saved and who's not. We don't have anything to do with it. So why do we need to learn or practice sharing our faith? Right. Yeah. So this kind of spiritual uh, arrogance comes out of this uh, sense of, well, you know, I'm a really committed believer. I've got the right theology. I know what's exactly. going to happen. Uh, we don't really need to get involved. Okay, I hear that. It's one of your unintended consequences of seminary education that you spoke of just a, a few weeks ago. Yeah, it is. It is. Here's another one that you've learned from students, yeah. and that is they have a fear of being confrontational or and of being scorned or shamed or put down by the culture. Right. Now, the gospel is confrontational. And so part of this is probably you helping students understand the difference between being personally offensive and then sharing mm-hmm. in the most winsome way possible the confrontational message of the gospel, which is always going to be confrontational. Mm-hmm. Is that part of what you're meaning here? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the challenges I see students have is making time to do evangelism, uh, the, the fear that they don't have the right answer. And the, the fear that they're going to be seen as uncool. So, and, and then what they find out, though, again, is when you do this, those fears tend to go away. And fear is not always bad because you're depending on the Lord to give you the words to say, and you're just stepping out there, you know, in faith. So, yeah, I, but I, I do think they've got to get past that, that fear of, you know, we're goofy Christians, you know, we're, we're the, but in a, in a way it's a good thing because we're kind of the re- rebel culture now, right? Yeah. People like that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I think that the, the, uh, the distinction I just keep wanting to make with students is the gospel is always confrontational. There's nothing you can do about that. It, 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 it confronts people in their sin and it shows them a different way of living and it corrects the entire, or it, it really, uh, uh, opposes the entire worldview system we're living under these days. Mm-hmm. The gospel is confrontational. What you want to do, though, is help students understand that being offensive with the gospel is not appropriate. Right. We don't get to be jerks right. for Jesus. That's just not part of the equation. We have to share the confrontational gospel in the most winsome way possible uh, so that the gospel itself 
may have opposition, but we will, don't want to bring any with our own presentation right. or the way we conduct ourselves. And don't let the fear of that keep you from getting to the main thing. You can be right. direct and get to the big issues without being a jerk about it. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, one last one. You say that as you've taught for these 15 years that many students feel unprepared to answer questions and objections people may raise. Of course, I think that's why they've come to seminaries, to get right. better prepared. But what kind of concerns does that raise that keep people from sharing their faith? Um, I think what I've had to do over the last you know, 15, 20 years in teaching this is move toward, you know, uh, move toward them asking more questions and listening so that they can actually try to distill what's going on in somebody's life. So even when I started, so we've, meaning we've had a bigger push on apologetics in sharing mm-hmm. out here. Yes. And, uh, and I think that's a good thing, a bigger push on asking questions and listening. Um, but as far as a- answering objections, we used to try to teach our students to answer like I did anyway. The, like four big questions. Why am I here? What happens when I die? What's truth? Is there a God? You know, and how can you defend that? So I used to have that as what we were training students to, re- to respond to. And now we're finding, especially from our youth guys, that the questions they're being asked are questions they need to have answers to. And they're not easy questions. They're questions like, what, you know, why does God not, not like this group? Or why are Christians like this? So I have the youth guys telling me, my youth aren't asking, is there a God? They're saying, why does God not affirm how I am right, or my right, feelings? Right. So so I think sometimes that keeps them from engaging because they're just afraid of what they're going to be faced with in return. I've also observed over the years that the concerns I have about the questions I'm going to be asked are often worse than the actual questions. Exactly. And so once I get into the conversation, I find that I hear the same things over and over again. So I do develop some skill in mm-hmm. responding to them. And I also find that a lot of times when people raise the question, like you said, if I listen carefully, rather than even trying to answer the question, I'll, I'll a- answer their question with a question. Why is that of great concern to you? Right. Or, or you know, what, what would it take to help resolve that question in your mind? And they don't often know the answer to that, uh, but they're willing to have a conversation about right. it. So, okay. Well, today, wow, this time has flown by, but my guest has been Dr. Eddie Pate. He's been a professor here at Gateway teaching evangelism for the last 15 years. Before that, uh, he worked in uh, Jordan and in Sudan. He's been around the world with mission teams in all kinds of contexts with all kinds of students. And out of that, he's learned 10 things that students have taught him, which influence the way he approaches teaching evangelism today. He advocates uh, that we take seriously what we're hearing from others and then shape our approaches as accordingly. And he's, do- he's done that uh, with these students, with their concerns, and with what he's talked with us today about on the podcast. Listen, personal evangelism is at the heart of what we do as ministry leaders. These kinds of things that Dr. Pate has said he's learned from students and from churches I would expect that a lot of these same things are true of you or true of your church. So pick out one or two of these things we've said today. Don't try to work on everything all at once. Pick out one or two of these things today and say, yes, that's really true where we are and we need to work on that. Develop some intentional effort, strategy, plans, and improve your evangelistic effectiveness by what you've learned today. 
put these insights into practice as you lead on.